You're listening to The Forum Daily. Welcome to The Forum Daily. It is Easter Monday, April the 13th, 2020. We're so thankful that you guys are joining us today. My name is Luke Betger, one of the lead pastors at Slate Church. And with me, uh, across from me in the digital world, is Brandon Richardson, one of the other lead pastors at Slate Church. Good morning. Good morning. How was Easter for you? Ah, it was great. Uh, you know, ate lots of chocolate. Uh, we had some the great... stuff you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, that's the, you know, shouldn't be the highlight, but it's the first thing that I thought of. <laughs> totally. But uh, yeah, had some good Easter services and uh, spent some good time with the kids and my parents. So nice. that was really good. My brother. Yeah, that's awesome. It's good to, uh, Easter is awesome to spend time with family. It's a, it's such a nice time. Yeah. And, and that's one of those um, added benefits maybe of choosing to live where we have during this season. Cause otherwise we wouldn't yeah. have been able to spend time with them. So no, that's exactly right. Yeah. How was, your, thing. how was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. So, uh, very similar. I mean, obviously a different Easter, um, great church services. Fantastic. Uh, was able to visit my grandma over the fence, uh, in her yard. So I was able to talk to her for a while and same thing with my parents. And so it was a nice time. We had, uh, we had a good Easter, although it was certainly a different one, but still really great. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get any chocolate? Yeah. My parents got me some chocolate and so I'll be eating that, uh, today. <laughs> although you and <laughs> all of it. You and Victoria, although you say that, um, you guys are yeah. like chocolate hoarders. <laughs> I, would, I would say that you guys don't get given a, like, I mean, you don't have, uh, you know, it's not like everybody's giving you chocolate, but like right. when you're given chocolate, like you have this one drawer in your house that I'm tempted to raid almost every day. <laughs> we, we do have that drawer of, you know, when we have relatives come from Sweden or whatever else, they're always bringing like candy and chocolate. And that drawer fills up pretty quick at our house. And for some reason, we just don't eat it as quick as we get it. So we have like so many chocolate bars, Swedish chocolate bars, Swedish candy. Like the thing is like filled to overflow essentially. And yeah, it's weird, man. I don't know why that is. And I like chocolate too. It's like, it's a nice thing. But I think for me, if it was full of like Sour Patch Kids, I would eat it all. Yeah, sure. But chocolate is a slower thing for me. I have a couple pieces and like that's all I need, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, now you've leaked that secret out. I better change the lock on my house, probably put some <laughs> uh, upgrade the security a little bit now that people know there's a, just a giant reservoir of chocolate and uh, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. For anybody that uh, has tried Swedish chocolate, they'll be at your house this afternoon. So. <laughs> Um, hey, it's Monday, but today we are doing our Friday book club. Yeah, what a, what a weird thing, eh? It's oh. pretty weird. Obviously, Friday was Good Friday, so we decided to move this to today. And guess what, man? We have got a new jingle. Yeah, the last jingle only lasted one week because we had somebody <laughs> else make another one. It was dethroned. Sorry, Jared. And this one is sick, man. It's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be uh, like I mean uh, Jared yours yours was good um, yeah and he put some work into it and that's exactly what we wanted to see was just you know something yeah. but Jericho Vera right. has dethroned you he's dethroned you sorry man so 
Um, hey, without any further ado, it's time for Brandon and Luke's Friday Books. Friday Books. Luke and Brandon's Friday Book Club. How awesome was that theme song? It was sick. Man, Jer- Jericho, you're the man. You're the man, and you just came up with some new music on uh, SoundCloud. I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. But if you look up Jericho Vera, J E R R I C O V E R A, thank you for making that jingle for our new. Well, I guess it's not new. It's it's a new <laughs> jingle for our, our 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 very much the same book club. That's right. That's right. And uh, that was awesome. I love that. Um, it's so cool that uh, we, we've got creative people who are just sending stuff in. That's a lot of fun. I like it. Well, hey, we uh, we have read this past week chapters, what is it, three and four? Is that what this is? I can't remember what the chapters are because they're not quite numbered. But uh, I think it's two, three. It's four and five, I think. Maybe we're on four and five. Whatever they were great chapters. Whatever it was, they were good chapters. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, They were great five. chapters. Okay, four and five. And we started with the chapter uh, about God being slow to anger. Yes, slow to anger. You know, I love this chapter, actually. I think it, again, I've I've been really impressed how John Mark Comer has been able to take, like, really, really complex subjects yeah, and distill them in a way that uh, is really um, digestible for anybody who's reading. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, we're talking about like big stuff, stuff that's debated in, um, you know, uh, theological rooms and all of these types of things. And he really does a good job of just presenting it in a great way without trying to say, hey, I'm the authority on this, but here's um, here's what the Bible says and the way that I understand it. And I think that it is just a really healthy approach to all of this. And so why don't we jump in? Why don't we talk about this first chapter here? Um, what were some of the things that you noticed about it, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, this is a tension that, you know, whereas maybe earlier in the book, there were some new concepts. Um, This tension is something I think, especially for us as pastors, um, I don't think we could responsibly get to where we are today if we hadn't put some thought into this question. Yeah, Uh, I think it just brought fresh perspective, but not not a perspective that's unknown or or one, to be completely honest, that we haven't. I mean, I'm taking a guess for you, but I think we've talked about this before that we haven't actually thought through, right? So yeah. there's, um, there's a, a lot of stuff in here that it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's this is where I would land on this. But he just gave words to it, which I really liked. Um, totally. I think he has some sticky statements, like even the title of the chapter is why we actually crave the wrath of God. Yeah. You know, immediately it just brings a different perspective to something that we've wrestled with and debated with for a long time. Um, And of course, as we continue to unpack this chapter, we'll get to why that actually is. But um, I didn't, you know, I underline a lot of uh, almost his entire book. There's like almost every page or something that you just kind of like underline. You're like, oh, that's good. I found it interesting that I didn't do that until a few pages in when he gave a definition of God's wrath. And then he started to break down with this chart, the, uh, you know, um, present versus um, active and passive versus uh, future. 
and uh, or sorry, I said that wrong. Active versus passive, present versus future. And I thought that was a really helpful chart. Yeah, I I love that. I think his ability, um, it, it, the way he defines God's wrath, is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. I think that that is a fantastic definition of God's wrath, and that idea that our world today like has a real problem with God's wrath, but that idea of, no, if we really step back, we actually crave God's wrath against injustice and evil in our world, and that's something that we so desire. And um, I-, I thought that that was fantastic. The way that he differentiates the fact that our anger, and of course, like that seems to always be our starting point, right? It's like our perspective. Yeah. Um, where he talks about our anger is always uh, like from a wounded ego, but <laughs> Yahweh's anger is from a parent-like love for his children. Our anger is unjust, whereas God's anger is totally just. And the fact that his anger, um, its he's not quick to anger. And so I think that uh, he did a really good job of just laying those ideas and those concepts out, because we usually think, or not, not usually, but many people think, um, that when it comes to God's anger, it's like he just kind of flies off the handle and just uh, at any point he just seems to get angry. And it's like, you know, people live walking around living the Christian life worried that God's going to get angry at them and just like strike them dead or something like that. When we really see that that's actually not God's character at all. And God's true character and the way that he actually does get angry with this sense of justice um, is actually a great act of love and compassion. It's like paradoxical in a way. But when you get that, it really makes a difference as to how you read the Bible and especially the Old Testament. Yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, he really challenges the idea of uh, God or the the idea the world has of God's wrath, and then he also challenges yeah. the idea of the world to love. And yeah. uh, you know, he says, "Think of the common slang in our culture. Hey, what's good for you is good for you. Who am I to judge? Live and let live." And then he goes on to say. I can't help but think, really? Would you say that to an ISIS bomber, a deranged yeah. killer sneaking into an elementary school with a machine gun, a pedophile? I'm guessing no. So clearly tolerance has a limit, even in our late modern world. There's a line. We just disagree on where to draw it. And and I do like that because, um, you know, a philosophical um, tool that you always use is like you, you imagine different universes where things exist. And if you can imagine a universe where you do get upset with something, well, then there there it gives you a little bit of an idea that you do have a line. You just, yeah. just disagree where the line is. And I think that's also actually important for the church to understand, which is like we're not talking about people that literally have no concept for evil or morality or some sort of objective truth. Um, because we always think the world, you know, especially today, the world is so subjective in its truth. Well, it, it is, but... Uh, we can imagine a world where people agree on certain realities of truth, wrath, justice, and all these kinds of things. And that actually gives us a good starting point to start to talk about God's love and his wrath. That's right. And so as you mentioned, he plots uh, the ideas of God's wrath on this axis. And Mm -hmm. he talks about this idea of um, God's present wrath, where he deals with evil now, this side mm-hmm. of Judgment Day, like he did with Nineveh, as we even read about earlier in the book. Um, it's like right here, right now. Uh, but he also notes that that's rare, and it yep. doesn't happen very often. There's also uh, Yahweh's future wrath. Uh, this is where God deals with evil later, 
Um, and what and we see it all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, he writes here, the Hebrews writer writers call it the Day of Yahweh. In our Bible, it's often written as the Day of the Lord, and um, that's talking about the day in the future when uh, evil is is done for uh, forever. Um, and the idea that, hey, this is God's judgment is going to happen at this time. We are going to be judged. And I do like that he outlines that that's not a very popular thing to talk about in capital C church around the world today. The idea of judgment and reckoning at that time to come. Um, yep. Uh, but he does talk about that that's something that's coming. Then he talks about God's active wrath uh, when God acts directly to put a stop to evil. Yeah. Um, which is which is uh, really cool. And then he talks about God's passive wrath. This is when God does not act, and that is the judgment. And mm. I think that this is a really interesting one because he says this is how Yahweh usually deals with evil. This idea of God is not just going to step in because of the sins of people. And so he talks about the idea, again, of Nineveh uh, being conquered by the Babylonians, and it's like, okay, what's going on here? And it's the fact that God did not intervene that is his judgment. It's not necessarily that God used the Babylonians to overthrow uh, Nineveh. It's that God didn't intervene. And this, I think, is a really healthy way of looking at yeah. some of these different things. Because all of a sudden, we we don't start saying, well, God used that to do this necessarily yeah, yeah. Uh, but it but it's an interesting way of looking at it even um uh, the way that paul writes god gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts god gave them over to shameful lust god gave them over to a de depraved mind and yeah. um you know i think that a lot of the time that's obviously not what god would actually want for us but also he's gracious enough and loves us enough to give us the choice to choose him. And a quote that uh, Comer even has earlier in the book is this idea that God waits to be wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just so beautiful because if the desire of our heart is actually sin, um, hey, we're going to reap the reward of sin, which of course is death and destruction. Uh, yeah. And so I just think it's a really great way, an interesting way of looking at the wrath of God. Yeah. I, I you know, often the, the question comes down to like, how does God punish? And I think that Comer is yep. answering that. And he says, hey, most of God's wrath or, you know, quote unquote punishment is either present passive, allowing us to, you know, make the decisions and not intervening or future active. And, uh, you know, this is gets back to, again, there is going to be a, a future judgment day where he does take a very active role in saying, hey, this is this and this is that. And um, I, I think that it, it kind of comes back to this idea that uh, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And this this whole idea is talking about the like the word um, actually means logos and logos is this idea of logic and if you look at Genesis, it's all about bringing chaos into order. It's, you know, every single thing is like this chaotic mess that's consistently and constantly bring, being brought to order. And God's order of the world seems to suggest that there's a way that he's hardwired his creation with almost like uh, actual moral laws in place that, hey, like, it's not that he's actively taking a role in the active piece was in his creating of these rules. And so if you're going to go against the grain, I mean, you know, there's a certain way that you should shave. You go against that way. I mean, you're going to have a lot of irritation. 
And uh, and I think it's the same. And John Mark Comer kind of comes uh, at this the same way, which he which is what he, he's saying. He's saying, hey, if we um, if we want to act a certain way, I mean, there's nothing stopping us from acting that way. But there is a natural consequence. Natural being um, when we act a certain way and it goes against a moral law or a or a way that the universe has been created, there is a natural punishment that comes with that. God's not every moment waiting for us to mess up so he can send his arrows towards us or as John Mark Comer says, his lightning rod towards us as the gods, lowercase gods, that, I mean, he built a case for this earlier in his book as they would do, you know, just kind of flippantly and waiting and, you know, hiding in the shadows, ready to pounce. But in this kind of way of like, you know, like um, it's always been there. This law has always been there. We've always had the option to either go with it or against it. And that's where it kind of comes to the present passive. Yeah. And then um, continuing on, uh, Comer brings us all around to Jesus. And it's great that he does this because, again, a lot of people sort of have this separate idea between Jesus, Jesus in the New Testament and uh, Yahweh in the Old Testament. But I love that um, Comer does a good job of breaking down that wall and showing actually there's still one in the same. And really talks about the idea that Jesus um, came with the message that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Right? That's the writer Mark's summary of the message of Jesus. Um, Jesus' overarching message was that the kingdom of God was finally breaking through into the world through Jesus Christ. So we need to repent come over to his side so that we can enter and live in this new beautiful reality with him. And oftentimes, you know, we have uh, all of these, again, caricatures of the God of the Old Testament versus, you know, Jesus is sort of just kind of being some loving hippie in the New Testament. Um, But of course, then he outlines the story of Jesus um, overturning the the tables in the temple and he talks about the idea that the temple um, was really this cultural hub in society and it was really that place that 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 was like the meeting place between heaven and earth uh, in their society and he was talking about the injustice that was taking place in there as uh, the spiritual leaders of the day had become corrupt and they were ripping people off and taking advantage of people and you know saying this idea that people would often have to walk for a couple of days and they brought their their best uh, lamb for sacrifice, right? The one that was without defect. And then the priest would inspect it and he would say, ah, not good enough. Sorry. But uh, fortunately, we got a whole pen of, you know, perfectly acceptable pre-approved lambs that you can choose from for, uh, we just so happen to have for the low price of, you know, and like just this slimy taking advantage of kind of thing. And it's like, well, you can just buy one of ours. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is an absolute injustice taking place in the church, uh, no, no less. And yeah. Jesus just sees that, and it's like, no, 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 this is not going to fly. And so he gets really mad. He makes a whip, which is just like the most, it, like, like making a statement kind of thing. He overturns yeah. those temples and says, "Stop turning my father's house into a market." And there we see the wrath of God coming out in a very real way through Jesus. But what is he upset about? He's upset about injustice. He's upset about people being taken advantage of. Um, And I think that that's so important that we, that we actually, 
take that to heart and we remember that. I've I've seen so many people make the argument for like why a church shouldn't sell like uh like coffee in the lobby yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or something like that. Uh, well, Jesus went in and over overturned the money changers and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, the problem wasn't uh, like, the problem's not selling coffee in church. The problem would be uh, taking advantage of poor people and saying, if you don't buy this coffee, you're not going to get into heaven. Exactly. And, uh, you know, give us all your money. It's, a, it's an issue of injustice that Jesus is, is taking on. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that all culminates and, and, uh, you know, he does, he does mention that that whole story, it's exemplifying that Jesus is still quite calculated in his anger, right? In his justice. He's not doing it flippantly or at an emotional reaction. Although it is emotion, it's been calculated emotion being released very intentionally. And he says, we need to live in the tension between love and anger. Most of us think of love and anger as incompatible. How can you love somebody and be angry at them? That just so shows how much we still have to learn about love. And isn't this true, Luke, where, you know, uh, as pastors, you preach on the love of God and you've got somebody on the far right or, uh, you know what, that's maybe a little bit of a, a it's doing a disservice to the, those that are maybe just more right, not far right, but just more right yeah. in their thinking. Um, I'm talking political ideologies, not being correct or right or wrong yep. you know, is uh, is more on the right side of thinking. And they'll come up and they'll say, yeah, but you know, you spoke in the love of God, but you know uh, you need to focus on the justice of God. And if you preach on the justice of God, you got somebody thinking more left that comes up. Sure. And, yes. But have you considered the, 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 the love of God and, you know, and it's so easy to tick off, you know, fickle Christians when all they think is they put God in one category or the other. Oh, if you're talking about love, it must mean that you're not talking about justice. And oh, if you're talking about justice, it must mean that you're not loving. And I think there's a, you know, an underlying challenge to the church in this whole chapter saying, hey, like we not only is there an access point in, in Jerusalem between heaven and earth, but there needs to be an access point in us as Christians where we understand that justice and love are compatible with one another and both are equally as important as one another. And he does say, you know, that's why Yahweh's love is an attribute, but his wrath isn't. The scriptures teach that God is love, but we never read God is wrath. Wrath or anger is Yahweh's response to evil in the world. And I think, I mean, what a thesis statement for a chapter, you know, and, and, and a challenge really to the, and of course, he's writing it within a, a Western mindset himself. So I think it's a, it's a challenge to the Western church of, hey, we've got to be able to grapple with these things together and not get so, you know, spun out of, out of whack on one side or the other. Yeah, that's so good, man. Hey, moving on to the next chapter. Yeah. Um, I love it. So it goes right out of talking about God's slow to anger. Um yeah. And goes right into this idea of talking about abounding in love and faithfulness. Um, and the chapter title is Long Obedience in the Same Direction in an Age of Instant Gratification. And I think that this is also a great chapter and certainly um, a great one to follow up the chapter that we just read as well. Um, yeah. he, he breaks down these words uh, as they were in the Hebrew. And um, 
so he, he notes that love and faithfulness are translated as hesed and emmet. Mm-hmm. And hesed is really kind of this sweeping, like there's no good translation for it in English, which is one mm-hmm. of the hard things uh, for scholars, of course, in translating this and why there's many different translations uh, in that Exodus 34 chapter of of this, where, where it mm-hmm. could be uh, steadfast love, unfailing love, all of these different types of things um, that there's just not a good word for. Um, but he talks about the idea that this word hesed is a covenant term. And then he gets into that a little bit later about these ideas of covenant. But first he talks about this idea of emet or faithfulness um, and the, the idea that it's even connected to the word amen. Uh, but it's showing that, you know, you can count on Yahweh, on God, even when times are tough and God will not let you down. He is absolutely with you. And he talks about the fact that these two words are there to help define one another, where he says God's love is his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is his love. They are all about God's loyalty and the fact that he never, ever, ever abandons his people, no matter what the cost. And I just think that that is just a beautiful reminder for us today. But of course, he brings up the trouble. Well, if that's true, then how come I have chronic illness? How come I had a miscarriage? How come uh, I have a, a, uh, I'm down on my mortgage? How come all of these different things. And that really is something that I think a lot of Christians find hard to reckon with today. If God is faithful and loves us and will never, ever, ever let us down, then what in the world is actually going on here? And I love that he talks about the idea of covenants at that point. And um, specifically with Abraham. Honestly, have you read a accessible book that has tried to tackle as many large topics as this one. No, I honestly don't think that I have. I like definitely not. Not 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 in this type of package, not in one that's like not uh not a book that's been written for university classrooms yeah. um or seminaries or something like that, but it's literally a book for the every person. And again, he's just not afraid to take on literally some of the biggest theological issues in our day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, the publisher of the book isn't InterVarsity Press, it's Zondervan. And exactly. I mean, nothing against Zondervan, but often, you know, a lot of Zondervan books are um, uh, post-packaged sermons uh, where they take one idea and expand on it for 300 pages. Uh, This is one idea. God has a name, but it's got like 10 mini ideas in it that are, are each in, in their own this large theological um, idea. Um, I do love that idea that love is faithfulness and faithfulness is love. They help define one another in God's, uh, you know, in, in defining who God is. And uh, it, it kind of moves on to the idea that the way that this has worked out is God blesses his people and then the people bless the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I once heard that the greatest risk that God ever takes is trusting his church to his people. It's good. It's and good. Um, I mean, how true is that? I mean, when I get blessed, like there is just such a temptation for the people of God to become this weird filter to blessing the world. And uh, honestly, I mean, I, I think it's a big chance on, I mean, the world uh, kind of, I think, gets the short end of that stick a lot of the time where the people of God kind of hoard the blessing. We see this with the Israelites. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there might be a warning here 
or like maybe not even a warning, but a, a, an encouragement for sure for the people of God to continue to bless the world, regardless, reflecting on our chapter previous to whether or not we, we uh, really like our enemies. We're actually still called to love them. That's right. And I love what he talks about when he, when he talks about this idea of blessing where God establishes this, this covenant with Abraham, a covenant being like a promise slash legal contract in the day. And he talks about yeah. the, the closest thing that we have to covenant today is the idea of marriage as, yeah. uh, as being that. But he talks about the fact that God does promise to bless Abraham through this. Um, but he notes that Abraham's life was anything but easy after this. It wasn't like uh, Abraham was able to just kind of retire to an apartment and have a whole bunch of money and cool clothes and nice cars and all of those different types of things. Um, but instead, the real point of the promise of the covenant was that Abraham's family would function, he says, as a conduit for Yahweh to spread his life-giving regenerative blessing over every square inch of the earth. And that is the blessing in itself. So oftentimes, I think in our world today, we think of blessing as material things and comfort and security. Whereas God, God's definition of blessing when it comes to Abraham is the fact that you are going to be a part of my plan for redemption in this world. And that is a blessing. You're blessed through that. And Hey, that that changes the way that we that we think about things, uh, and of course, it, as he fast forwards to Jesus as well, the ideas are similar in that uh, Jesus doesn't say that life is going to be necessarily totally easy if we follow him, and that we'll get whatever we want and all of that. In fact, he says quite the opposite uh, that it's going to be difficult. But the blessing that we get is a hope in knowing the and the absolute expectation of the coming good because of who Jesus is. And that is blessing. Blessing is not just how many things I have or followers I have or on Instagram or any of these other types of things, but it's actually being a part of God's plan for redemption here and now in this earth. And that is a pretty cool thing that we get to be a part of that. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. And and, uh, you know, I, I, we're spending a lot more time on Instagram these days because of the season that we find ourselves in. And maybe not everybody is, but I know I am. I find yeah. myself going there a little bit more frequently through the day. And there's certainly a lot more content up there. People have more time to put it out. And uh, I just, I, I mean, one reflection that I've been taking away is that Instagram just seems to be the welling up of the person's heart. Whoever's on the yeah. other side of it, what they care about and what they want other people to think about them. And it's amazing how much of this comes up as that kind of false sense of blessing. Hey, look, look, I live the blessed life. And here's me slowly drinking a cup of coffee in serenity and with the music that I love and all the rest. And and it's a projection of what that person wants others to see what the blessing in their life looks like. And, uh, and, And not that that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's always a terrible thing, but uh, I think that, it is um, a hard thing for some of us as Christians to come to grips with, which is exactly what you're reflecting on with John Mark Comer, which is, hey, the blessing is actually in being the conduit uh, of who, who who God wants us to be for the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a much harder thing to get to. It's a much harder thing to grapple with. Honestly, even as a pastor, I struggle with that one. 
And uh, I think it's an encouragement. Hey, we've got to get there. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, those are two great chapters packed full of great stuff. Um, for this Friday, guess what? We're reading to the end of the book and we'll be done. So we've only got like chapter six and I think like a, a, a little ep- epilogue left or something like that. And and that's that. That's the book. Pretty it's, cool. Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, everybody that's been following along on the podcast, at least the book clip, some of you are probably just like, oh, I'll get the Coles notes from the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool too. Glad that we're able to teach through John Mark Comer's book. Um, but for those of you that have been reading along in the book and following along, which is a lot of people, uh, there you go. You read a book already during quarantine by this Friday, well which done. is really exciting. And uh, I guess that's when we'll also announce what we're doing for our next book. That's right. So until then, this has been Brandon and Luke's Friday Books. Friday Books. Still love that jingle. Luke and Brandon's Friday Book Club. Amazing. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for listening today. We'll be back tomorrow on Tuesday with another podcast. And uh, hey, until then, be blessed and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Forum Daily. Don't forget to check out Slate Church on our website at slatechurch.com and be sure to follow us on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook as well for all the updates that you need to know.